Good morning. I'm just going to have everyone stand up. I want to pray for the Lament people group like we have been. They do not have the word of God in their own language, and we're going to be committed at praying that through, even if it means that at 10 years from now, we're still praying. We're also going to be praying for Israel and then praying for our own nation that revival will come. So let's just all pray out loud, and then I will close. Father God. And I just pray, God, that um, there would be something for everybody to take away, to think about, to be challenged, that something that would get us to think more like Christ, to be more like Christ. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated again. I don't know how it is uh, for you guys. Uh, if, you, if you feel like when you read Scripture that you kind of go through these droughts, um, and, and I feel like I've, I've recently have been going through kind of a season like that where it's just you read scripture and it just feels like nothing is making sense or, or nothing is, is coming alive. And um, so in that, I just before I get into the message, I just, I just want to share as an encouragement that if you guys don't, um, I just highly recommend that you do stuff like this, like where you write notes in your Bible, that you highlight things, that you, that you just, that you just, anytime something stands out to you, that you make a little note, that you highlight it. Because what it did for me this week, when I was feeling like I was going through a desert, was that I could look back and remember those moments that I'm like, oh yeah, God spoke to me here. God showed me something here, reading through the notes that I had written down that, that I remembered that God spoke to me. So I just want to give that to you as an encouragement because um, if we're not intentional, if we're not proactive in our hearing from God, opening up the scripture, we just check it off of a list, but we're not, we're not writing down the things that God is showing us then how do we remember when we're going through those droughts, those hard times? And if you just are a person that opens up the Word of God every single day and just always a fresh outpouring of His Word, then maybe you don't need to do that. But if you are here and you're like, man, sometimes there's just times that this feels like a drought, um, start writing, start underlining, start highlighting, because those things, for me personally, has been such a huge encouragement encouragement to me as I go through some of those hard times and so as, as I was going through this um, just really like okay yeah I'm on the schedule to preach again I can just kind of come up and do my thing thing as I was sitting here this morning God just started to pour out just this just this excitement to open up God's word just this excitement to crack into it a little bit and, you know, whenever I read a book and, you know, authors talk about, okay, this is how they define, you know, topical preaching or expository or expositional teaching, 
a lot of times, honestly, if I'd be honest, a lot of those definitions just kind of go over my head. Like, I can't quite wrap my mind around sometimes, like, what's, what's truly the difference between, you know, expository or expositional or, or all those things. But I heard a definition really recently um, that I just really stuck with me that was between expositional and topical is typically if a preacher teaches topical, he is presenting information that he already knows. Um, he's just relaying that information of what, you know, he knows. Expositional type preaching is exposing, opening up the Word of God. And it presents yourself as a way, as me, the one presenting the message, that I'm learning. You're learning. That we're exposing the Word of God. That even in my teaching this morning, as we open up the Word of God, there's going to be things that stand out to me that I'm going to be learning just in this process. Um, I don't know, maybe that doesn't make sense to you, but it made sense to me. But I think if we want to remain healthy in our church and in our teaching, whether it's Sunday school, you Sunday school teachers, and us as preachers, a, a call and a challenge to Laverne and to Brendan and myself, is that we continue to expose the Word of God. Even in our little kids' Sunday school class, to the little, to the little ones, are we opening up the Word? Are we exposing them to the Word of God? So that's just a little challenge again. So that's like already the second challenge that I've given without even giving, getting into the message here. But I've titled the message this morning, A New Commandment. Um, this is something that I've been thinking about for probably about a month now. Um, I took some solitude time, two days at a cabin, uh, and I was reading a book uh, made for people, and I know it's been floating around. There's been people that have been reading it. There was just a little snippet about um, the author just pointing out some interactions that Jesus and Peter had, and it really piqued my interest. And so I decided I'm going to dive into that, study that some more. We're just going to talk about Peter, and we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to see what kind of lessons we can glean by opening and exposing the Word of God. So first, I want to just read the new commandment that Jesus gave. It comes from John 13, 33, verse 35. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I'm going to go in to... Uh, the account in Mark um, where Jesus first calls Peter. Uh, chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, 16 through 18. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. This would be Simon is also Peter. 
the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Now I really want you to hang on to those words, follow me. Like, write them down or just hang on to them. Realize as we go through this that a, a key thing that Jesus says here is follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. So these were the set of disciples that Jesus first called. And he said to them, follow me. And his first command was, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He said, follow me so I can teach you all the laws. Or he didn't say, follow me so that I can make you most holy. He said, follow me because I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so immediately they left their nets and followed him. So I just want you guys to shout out some things that were interesting interactions. So through the time of the relationship of Jesus, when you think of Jesus and Peter's relationship, what are interesting things that you think of off the top of your head that happened? Um, anybody thinking of certain scenarios because there's a lot get thee behind me Satan love me feed my lambs know the man. Do we remember a guy that tried to walk on water? Who was that? Peter and John ran to the tomb first. John outran Peter, but then John just peeked into the tomb, but Peter just went right on in. Who was the guy that Jesus had the conversation with about casting and pulling out a fish, finding the shekel. Wasn't that Peter? I'm going to take a little bunny trail on that because it's so fascinating. When we were in Israel, we had a teacher there that was saying that in those days, it was traditional that men under 18 didn't have to pay the temple tax. And the tax was a half shekel uh, to be in the temple. And so you look at this, and it was just like, oh, one shekel covered Jesus and Peter's cost to pay the temple tax. Were the other disciples not around? Or were the disciples under the age of 18? And Jesus and Peter were the only ones that were older than 18 because they were the only ones required to pay the temple tax. Just a thought there. You can dwell on that. But don't dwell on it now. Go home and dwell on it because you need to stick with what we're doing here. So those are, there's some things there that there's just, Peter is the guy that has these interactions with Jesus. I'm going to go into the part in John where Jesus foretells the denial when Peter is going to deny Jesus. 
John 13. I think we're going to pick up in 36, somewhere around there. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Okay, so let's try to start putting this together. Do you notice in your Bible, if you have your Bible, what is the section that's right before that? That was the section that I just read, a new commandment. That's where Jesus gives the new commandment. So right after that, right after that first passage that I just read, comes this, this passage where Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow. Now wait, Jesus, your very first words were to me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now you're saying, I cannot follow you. But you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? He's like saying, this is all I've ever done was follow you. Why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And it's hard to know what all would have gone through through Peter's mind at that moment. But just imagine the confusion of Jesus' first words being like, follow me, and now he says, you cannot follow me. You are my rabbi, Jesus. Why can I not follow you? Of course I would follow you, too, even to my own death. So then we go into the section of Peter denies Jesus, so we flip over to John 18, pick it up in verse 15. So Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. We understand what's happening here. You know, Peter's traveling with another disciple, and Peter and this other, or Jesus and this other disciple goes in, but Peter just hangs out in the courtyard. And so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one, are you not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So this first denial, you know, Peter is like, okay, he's out in the courtyard. There's a bunch of people uh, warming themselves by a charcoal fire. And so he's just, you know, warming himself up. And he is um, 
trying to not be noticed. But yet he's noticed and he denies Jesus here. So, and then again, he denies Jesus. 18 verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So he was still in the same spot, still in the same location. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. So all of this happened, at least in what we can understand in John's account here, is that all three denials happened while John was standing there warming himself by this, this fire. And we know the story of Jesus' death and resurrection and we already talked about how Peter went to run to the tomb and saw that he was not there but and then Jesus appears to the disciples and so we're gonna go to that section there and this is the third time that Jesus appeared this is in 21 verse verses 1 um, I think I'm just gonna read this whole section here. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the son of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. It's just kind of like, I think they were feeling very depressed yet. They were going back to what they knew. They couldn't follow Jesus anymore. They were going back to their old trade before they started following Jesus. And Simon Peter's had this grand idea. I'm going fishing. Hey, you want to come along? Sure, you know, why not? I don't have anything better to do. They went out into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Okay, hang on. I think they're sim- I mean, they just, it's in quotations, they answered him, No. I think it probably was not their funnest fishing trip, even if they were doing it with a bunch of buddies. You know, like our men's river trip, we have a lot of fun. We don't catch fish. Hardly, I would say. But we have tons of fun, right? Um, but, but it was just like, you could just imagine that they're doing this fishing, probably not talking a whole lot. They don't want to talk because when Jesus asked, hey, do you catch fish? They were just like, oh, no, you know, we, we tried all night, but we didn't catch anything and, and gave them a grand, you know, explaining this. It was just no end of their answer so he said cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some so they cast it now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish 
The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Oh my goodness, Peter, you're very drastic. But he's realizing something here. The other disciples came in the boat, dragged the net full of fish, and they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Now this is interesting, because the word charcoal only is mentioned twice. And the only other time was when Peter was around the fire, when he denied Jesus three times. It was mentioned, this detail, that this is a charcoal fire. And now, John just likes these details that he throws in. And again, they're standing here around this charcoal fire. The fish was laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus stokes this fire. He feeds them. He meets a physical need. And now, you know, there's something still within us that after we eat, we like to just fellowship around an open fire, right? There's just something about that. You, you hear the crackling of the flames, uh, whatever, you you are done, but you don't want to move because that fire just kind of draws you. That warmth just kind of draws you. And so they had finished breakfast. And I imagine they're sitting around this charcoal fire, talking, soaking in this moment with Jesus, somewhat petrified, but somewhat just, ah, oh, this is so good to be back with our Lord again. So it's in this context. You have the charcoal fire. They were just fed. And then Jesus asked Simon Peter these important questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Scholars have debates about what more than these are. I looked at uh, commentators, and one of the issues with the way that this translates in the Greek is it's so general. Like, if, if John would have really meant by Jesus saying, oh, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples? He may have used a comparative that was more masculine. Like, he could have you know, made it known that that was the comparative, that, that it was, do you love me more than these disciples? Or another way that there was thought of maybe saying was, Jesus was asking, do you love me more than any of these disciples? So there's one way of thinking of it is like, do you love me more than the disciples? Or are these disciples like your best friends and you love 
me less? Or do you love me more than the disciples love me? Or the third way is, do you love me more than this fishing boat, this equipment, um, your occupation of fishing? And I'm not here to say what the correct answer is. I don't think that it would be in Jesus' nature to say, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples? Like where he, Jesus knew what was in the other disciples' heart. He didn't have to try to create this conflict or competition, be like, Peter, do you love me more than the rest of the disciples? I think I would cross that one out. But he could have been talking about, do you love me more um, than the disciples? Are these guys your, your best friends? Or most scholars would agree that he's actually talking about, do you love me more than the fish that's on the fire? Do you love me more than the net, the boat, his equipment? And, and maybe John just left it so general Maybe Jesus left it so general that maybe he speaks to where you're at. Because maybe you love people in your church more than you love Jesus. But maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe you love your job or your occupation more than you love Jesus. But whatever the case is here, Jesus opens up with this. He says, you love me more than these. And he said to him, I could just picture... Peter being like, oh yes, finally, we're back. We're going to get to the meat of what Jesus was trying to accomplish. Like, he's appeared to us, now the third time, we're going to get it. And he's like, oh yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, of course, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Ten my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Then Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. And I think what happened in this very moment was he realized that Jesus was bringing him back to that time around the fire when he denied him, not just once, but twice, and three times. And all of a sudden, Peter realized, he realized Jesus, he remembered those times that he denied Jesus. And he knew that this was the point that Jesus was trying to get back at him. And he said, you know everything. There's nothing that I can hide from you. You know that I have de denied you three times. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hand, and another will dress 
you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Okay. And pay attention to this here. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. See, when Jesus said to him, You cannot follow me, Peter did not have the grace nor the power of God within him to be a full witness and testimony for Jesus. But Jesus said, you know what? I know in that scenario where you denied me, you said you were going to follow me even to the death. But you know what? Now I'm telling you that you can follow me and you are going to have a death that is going to glorify God. But I'm going to give you what it takes to be able to do that and not deny me. And then it goes on to saying, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them and one whom also had leaned back on him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? In word verse 21, chapter 21. When Peter saw him, he said to him, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. So the, sp the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple will not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him, that he would was not to die but if it is my will that he remain until I come what is that to you you know it's just kind of amazing how quickly we can revert the disciples can revert into our own human tendencies I mean right away Jesus told Peter that what is that to you if this disciple dies or remains and yet they spread the word that he was not to die like, come on, how much do we do that in our own lives where we just spread things that are not true? That what is it to us if this person has been chosen by God this way to do this or this? Why are we con so concerned about how other people live their lives? Why can't we just be concerned with the way that we live our lives? Yes, we need to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Yes, we need to call out sins. But church, are we more consumed with going to God asking Him, what is in me that I need to change? Am I following you? Because what is it to me that maybe Laverne is going to remain on earth? or maybe be taken. Why do those things tend to rise up in us? I love this quote from Jeff Sorensen. I think that's how you pronounce it. Have no idea who he is, 
But I think this quote is dead on. Jesus' words to Peter, tend my sheep, are not meant as words of demand, as in, now do this too. But instead, Jesus' words are of grace for Peter, of freedom. Jesus' words are instead a simple call to Peter to look to those lambs that Jesus so loves. And now you go love them too. Jesus isn't calling us and demanding us to go do something and love people adding that onto our responsibility of life. Jesus said, I have so loved these people. Can I just ask you to go love them too? I have given my life for these sheep. Just feed them. Just tend to them. Because I have given my all for them. A new commandment. This can apply in so many practical ways. You know, we're getting ready to kickstart a building project. And there is, in fact, as many opinions as there are people in how to do this. All right? Would you all agree? Everybody um, has their own opinions. But you know what, guys? Hear, hear me, please hear me. That if we come out of this building project being unified and loving each other more, I don't care if we did it right. Because there's so many right ways probably to do it. I don't care if it ends up costing us $200,000 more. If we save $200,000 and lose half of the people because of disagreements. It's not worth it. If we spend $200,000 more, what is money? What is it? And so I am calling us in this very practical situation to realize, yeah, share your opinions and your ideas and your suggestions to the building committee, but then just leave them there. I feel like that's the very gospel at work within us. Because the new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. People won't know us that we just hit it right and build the right addition to our building. No, that doesn't matter. People will know that we are his disciples because we have love one for another. Can we embrace that? Can we believe that? Can we take that into the very corners of our lives? Do we want to be disciples for Jesus? Do we want to follow him.
Jesus is calling us to follow him. Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much for your word. Such a privilege just to open, to crack this. Let us not take it for granted. The opportunities that we have to sit down and read and just be exposed to your word. Thank you so much for that gift. In Jesus' name, amen.